Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. In this episode, we talk to Herb van Berkel, founder of Tenzing Natural Energy Drinks. Herb left his role as marketing director of Red Bull in Europe and realised that there was a market opportunity for an energy drink that offered consumers a natural source of energy from plants and with far less sugar than standard energy drinks on the market. Launched in 2016, Tenzing already turns over more than 6 million in retail sales and recently launched a super TV ad. Tenzing is now the fastest growing energy drink in the entire energy category, behind only Monster and Red Bull. In this episode, you'll hear from Herb what chipping away at growth means to the Tenzing team, how they run the team with a totally flat structure, and you can choose your own boss, and how he doesn't believe that starting with why is enough on its own. Herb van Berkel, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you again. And you just have to show our viewers, because this is being uh, video recorded as well today. It'll go up on YouTube later. Uh, show our viewers your view, because I am jealous. Yeah, it's a lovely sunny day in Amsterdam. Look at that. Yeah. And is that a canal outside your window? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I you're so lucky. I won't pronounce it. No, oh, do. Go on, just for the laugh. Yeah. Heerengracht. Okay, I'm going to try. Heerengracht. It's just like, yeah, it's a Dutch language. It's so strange. So, you're so welcome. You are here today to talk to us all about Tenzing, which was the first natural energy drink that was launched in the UK market and is now leading in terms of growth in energy drinks, isn't it? Yes, yes, for a couple of years in a row now. So tell us about how you decided to launch Tenzing. Uh, You've got a pretty illustrious career in energy drinks. Talk to us a little bit about where you were working before the opportunity that you saw and how you decided to go it alone. Yes, I was at Red Bull for a long time, uh, for about eight years. I was head of marketing for Holland, uh, for the UK and also for for Europe for a while. And um, uh, and to be honest, I really enjoyed it. I loved the the brand, uh, a lot of great people that uh, work there. But at one point I left and I thought, you know, you know, I think when you start your own business, you have to kind of first that you have to think about like, is there a market for something, right? You have to kind of, you know, that, let's say that demand in the markets is the number one thing. And I really felt that there was a big demand, at least in the future, for something that was, you know, 100% plant-based. Uh, that was kind of even before the whole plant, now everything is plant, right? So this was like five years ago now. Um, so naturalness was, of course, already starting big, but the whole plant revolution was kind of yet to begin, I, I feel. So, yeah, which is basically, you know, the two main worries around energy drinks are, have always been, or have only grown over the years. Like it's you know the artificial ingredients in there and the high amounts of sugar. So I thought just tackle those two big issues and say, look, you know, can we launch a plant-based version that has like sixty more than sixty percent less sugar in there? Uh, and then I think that is a product that people will buy into. So that's how it started. So what was it that you were seeing in terms of the consumer need that wasn't being answered by the energy drinks that were in the market when you were still in Red Bull, for example? Talk to us about the actual the opportunity from a consumer perspective. Yes, I think it's very a very simple concept in that sense, where people worried about uh, yeah the artificial ingredients in energy drinks and the high amounts of sugar. Uh, so I think those are the two key topics I wanted to tackle. So like it is possible to get that same boost and get that same lift purely from plants, 
at the same time having like significantly less sugar in there. So um, yeah, that, that's the, that was the main insight uh, behind it. Okay, and I have Tenzing a beautiful box here that you guys sent me. Thank you so much, and for all of our That's scaling, cool. yeah. Oh, sorry, I've got to do it this way. Get used to my my camera here. But for all of our scaling brands, or even you know FMCG brands watching this, look at this for clarity of proposition. Right, I don't know if you can see how clear this is in terms of how uh, Tenzing look in unleash the power of nature. Right, all of the different benefits that you get, and you know the physical properties of the product that deliver those benefits. And look at those three beautiful cans. So talk to us about the brand and the proposition, because this is just an amazing, beautiful proposition. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I think so. What was really cool. So one of the, um, the other reasons I, I decided not to kind of like, you know, work for another big company, or I think that's also a bit of the disadvantage. You see a lot of people that, you know, leave Red Bull because it's, it is a cool company to work for. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to find something else. So I think um, that is also matches that, you know, the, the fun side of things. But I think for me, it was really, I wanted to start my own business also just to be my own boss. I'm never very good at having bosses. And uh, although my bosses have been mostly great, it was more like, you know, I just like the independence and the creative freedom. So like that was one of the cool things as well in the journey, because like the journey is obviously that the main insight were those two I just mentioned, right? Plant-based and low sugar. Okay. And then, then it's, but then it starts like, how do you, how do you create a name and a concept? And I was extremely lucky in that sense. It's one of those, you know, old fashioned travel stories Yeah. Uh, that, um, that I was traveling with my family, actually, uh, nothing to do with sensing, but in that time I was just in the concept of finding a name. Name finding is to be honest, like it's the worst thing. I, I poor kids out there that, you know, come after our generation because it will even be worse. But I think, you know, so if I wanted to have a name that was available in Europe and US, I believe in starting small, but like thinking, you know, that it could get big. So I wanted a name that was like it crossed. And then it's like, it is just basically impossible because it's the same category as normal soft drinks, as beers. Um, to imagine, let's say on a global scale, how many names have been taken okay. if you talk about all soft drinks, all juices, all beers. So I was really struggling. That's one of the, one of those, like there's a couple of really tough times in, in, in when starting the business and actually finding a good name is probably one of them. Um, and then I was really lucky. So I was traveling and then I was in Asia and someone told me about um, the Sherpa drinks. I talk about this new energy drink I was working on. And, 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 uh, and they said, well, the Sherpa drink, a really strong tea with salt. So Sherpas, for those who don't know, uh, they live in the Himalayas and they're most known for helping people climb Everest or, you know, or guides in the Annapurna Trail or, you know, so, but they're just, they're, they're, there are people and they live in that region and they drink mostly very high up in the world. And they drink a really strong tea with salt and they drink like a lemon tea. And I had a doctor by that time who helped me, like a nutritional doctor, who helped me with a recipe I found. And, and I immediately actually so excited about this idea. And I, I called him and I said, is this, a, is this kind of a cultural thing or does it also make sense from an energy perspective to drink this? Right. He says, it actually makes quite a lot of sense because it's like a, a triple hit of natural caffeine, electrolytes and vitamin C. And that then became the basis of, of the recipe. Okay. But also immediately after, so I then thought, well, if it's inspired by this recipe, the name Tenzing came to me because Tenzing was the first man on the Mount Everest and together with Edmund Hillary uh, in 1953. And, um, and my dad was always a big fan, always talking about that kind of, he loved the, the underdog story of, you know, someone who came out, you know, in very limited means and made it to the top of the world. It's a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. 
and zing also means energy. And I thought it's just like, wow, it's just such, it's a beautiful name. It's meant name. to be, yeah. It's meant to be. And I, it was one of those like nearly spiritual moments. I thought, yeah. wow, it's just great, you know, because very often, you know, and then, um, so I also then I, I had to register it. So I had to like go through like a trademark, uh, you know, one of those trademark thingies. And I asked, I said, do I actually need permission of the, of the Tenzing family? Because obviously Sherpa Tenzing had passed away, you know, in the 70s. So uh, I said, like, he, he must have family. Do I need the permission? They go, you don't need the permission because, you know, Tenzing is a very common name there. It's like if you call your drink John, you don't have to call, you know, get permission from a famous John. And I said, well, okay. that's, I don't think that's fair because, uh, you know, it was inspired by that name. So I then, then I contacted, I found the family, contacted them, and my family ended up meeting their whole family. Aww. And uh, it was amazing. And I now very regular contact still got their blessing. You know, they even became partners in the business. No way. So, yeah, yeah. So, wow. uh, yeah. So it's been amazing. It's in uh, that's one of those beautiful like. And where where stuff. are they based? There's, so there's a couple of children, and one of the, one is based in Darjeeling. So that okay. is just uh, actually in India, just next to the border of um, Nepal. And uh, another one I speak to a lot is based in um, uh, San Francisco. God, that's uh, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, did, in, the, did that just seem like the right thing for you to do to involve the family? Because I mean, you didn't have to if you had their blessing. Um, you well, I didn't have to anyway. I didn't even need their blessing. Effectively, there's a lot of brands. Well, the thing is, I the thing is, a lot of brands call themselves Tenzing in other categories, right? There's a uh, you know, there was a travel agency here in Holland. There was um, you know, there's a lot of different companies that called themselves. I'm, I'm pretty sure, or I know from the family, I've never asked their permission. Uh, but for me, it just felt like the right thing to do. Okay. Yeah. And also, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, it was just a great part of the journey. So you came up with this fabulous proposition, you know, rooted in a real story and the product attributes, you know, in terms of the vitamin C and the salt, the electrolytes give you this energy as well as, as well as the natural caffeine. Where does your caffeine come from? From green coffee. So that effectively, that means the you know, unroasted bean. Okay. Uh, so you don't get the coffee flavor. So talk to me about, you know, versus the, so and what I'm trying to do here is to kind of illustrate for our listeners, there was a category that already existed, right? So energy drinks and that was caffeine plus sugar. Yeah. And did they get their yeah. caffeine from anywhere special or was it just caffeine? It's just synthetically made caffeine. Synthetically yeah. made caffeine. And when you created the natural energy segment, right, was that almost like what we'd call a blue ocean opportunity because there was nobody in there and what you're doing is you're creating a new space within an existing category because you have identified a place where there are no sharks swimming in, yeah. in, in the sea. Is that, is that what you did really here? Uh, you'd hope so. I mean, I always feel the sharks are swimming pretty close by. You know? Well, maybe now, maybe now, but at the time, were they? At the time, yeah, I always think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you hear like stories about like, or the famous start with why, or so I, I, I'm not a big fan of that theory. No. Uh, although I'm a very clear purpose driven company and we have really clear kind of, which we'll talk about later. I yeah. hope. Um, at the same time, I think you're, it starts with, it starts with what I would yes. tell you. What is that product? It's the product people have to buy. It has to be relevant. It has to, at the end of it, it has to be the, the, this famous old two things relevant and unique, right? If it's if it's new, but it's not relevant, then you know it could be new. But what's the use? And if it's extremely relevant, but it's already been done, then you know then you then you'll probably not succeed. So I think it has to be you know people want to have, you know it has to be relevant. And then how do you cater to that relevance? Or this is about and how do you cater to that need? Is then of course the very difficult thing 
But I think in the, in the basis, it has to be right and the product has to make sense. So what happened then? You launched, where did you launch at the beginning? And very quickly, you know, what were the, the phases of growth? Because you've got this wonderful expression uh, when I talked about to you in, in during our prep call about super fast growth and how exciting it is with insurgent brands. And you said, hang on, hang on. You know, what we do is we, we've chipped away at growth. So talk yeah. to us about the phases of your growth and what you mean about by chipping away at growth. Yes, I've always thought right from the beginning that effectively you've got three different brands, you know, startups, I think, or brands or like, you know, especially if you think about that's something that's on a shelf somewhere, like that's yeah. not digital. But you could probably say it for every brand and it's not, not a very scientific analysis, but I've always thought it'd be the case. There's three options right in the beginning. No one buys you, you know, then you're basically screwed. So basically it's on the shelf and no one picks it up. Right. Then you've got the like, you know, the, on the other end of the category, like it just flies mm-hmm. for some reason. Very, very seldom happens. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that big middle category where, you know, some people pick it up, but you'll have to work hard. Right. Um, and I think that's what we said as well. There is no, and it was actually some of one of the guys, an amazing guy in the UK, one of our wholesalers. And I, I, in the beginning, all I did, I still do that. Like, what, what do you do? And, uh, do you know any brands? And how did they do well? And, you know, give me the secrets. And he goes, there is no secrets. You just have to chip away. You just keep chipping away, keep chipping away. And it's always been our, also our metaphor for like, you know, mountain climbing. It's every day we're climbing, we're climbing. We have like our office wow. base camp. And we say like, if we're in base camp, that means you're not climbing. So no one has to come to the office. Uh, obviously we don't oh, have that's so clever. Now. We don't have that to is... have an office anymore. We don't have one now, of course. But I think the, um, uh, the, the, the key is just like, you know, it will not come easy. And I think you always, the annoying thing is, um, you, the, the, the couple of brands and businesses that do make it quick get all the press attention, of course, um, or you only hear about them when they are already big. You know, so then you know, oh, where did Brewdog come from, or Fever Tree, or Nike? Um, but then, the, you know, on the background, they'd already be chipping away for ten years, fifteen years, right? You know, so uh, what was it? Um, uh, what's the brand doing so well now? Um, Which category? O- o- Oatly. Oatly, yeah. I mean, Jesus, they were, yeah, 17, they were around, 20 years. Yeah, they were around since the 90s or something. Obviously, they did a rebranding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've also, there's a, there's a really, there's a couple of those really famous uh, craft beer brands that were like craft beer brands from 100 years old. And they were just like chipping away, have a nice little family business. And all of a sudden, craft beer explodes and their business explodes, you know. So I think it is just also, it's just going, keep on, keep it, keep it, keep at it. Tell us about Tenzing then. What were the phases of your chipping away at growth? You know, if you had to chunk it into three phases or however many phases are relevant to your business, what would you describe um, them as? I think that the first phase is obviously really, really important. So when I'm, I remember I started and the first thing I did was Google mistakes people make when they start their own business. I actually did that. I remember sitting by my desk very well. I was like, I'm going to start now. I actually thought I actually am going to start. I didn't have a name. I had that, just the two insights that I said about plants and sure. And, and I came on this beautiful Harvard Business Review article about going to the market early, go to the market really, really early. And it's, it's very n- well known in, let's say, tech startups, right? The lean startup and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, trial and fail and try, try again, you know, and learn in the market, but actually not as much done sure. in, let's say, the physical product space. But I took that to heart and I just had like, when I created like my first, you know, kind of blends of different kind of flavors, different kind of fruits and different kind of plants and there's a lot of different you know flavor profiles possible i had different designs and i thought i want to launch tenzing in kind of the office space the university space 
and kind of you know the you know the high and high end QSR, let's say the you know, the the wasabis of the world and you know the the pot okay. in London. So I found I went I found Google, I went to King's College, and I found somewhere at Pod. So these were the like three, and I thought I'll just go to them early just to check. And the, the reason they said it was important, and I totally subscribe to that. It's the best advice I think you can ever get as a startup. You actually test the concept, right? As opposed to asking your you know your parents or your you know your friends. Sure. What did you have in hand? Describe to us what you had in hand when you went. I just had like some bottles with the with the product. A board with a nail. It was really, it was really, it looked really bad. But I think that's probably the charm. That's probably the good thing about it. Like I had like, no, I didn't even have a board. I just had my laptop open and I showed them a couple of designs and there's okay. just some really stupid little plastic bottles, you know, nothing, no, nothing on it. And I just had, I had little tasting things with it and that was it. And I just literally, I just started, but this is what it looks like. And what do you think? So you test out like, you know, is the concept right? Would they, would they list yeah. it? Right. You can actually ask, would you list this? Mm-hmm. And you get feedback. So it becomes a bit their baby as well, because I, then I got like, oh, it doesn't look natural enough. And I said, I, well, then I remember it was, it was Meg from Pod. And I said, well, thank you. And we changed the design because of her uh, remark. Then at, like, two months, three months later, when the product was actually launched, I phoned them and said, well, it's, this is the flavor you like best with this design that you liked. And they all said, I'll have it. And, uh, and then I thought, wow, this is so easy. Because actually my, my, my background is more like in creative and marketing and not so much in sales. I thought sales stuff is just like a piece of cake. <laughs> and then literally, I didn't, I didn't think I sold anything else for like another year or like at least like nine months. So having that initial, that was, the, if I wouldn't have done that, if I wouldn't have read that article, I think I would have been in a very different place because it's much more difficult. Okay. You know, the principle of selling to someone, that's why it's good I don't have a selling background. I've always kind of said, I hate when being sold to. It's like the classic when you get cool and someone starts mm-hmm. selling you stuff. It's just like immediate no-go, right? So and yeah. I wasn't selling it to, to these people. I was just like asking their genuine opinion. And that's what people like. Yeah. And we still do that to this day. And you were making a human connection with them, right? Yeah. And they were probably thinking, I want to do business with this guy because I like him. Yes. And I remember one of my bosses always saying to me, you know, people do business with people. They, mm-hmm. they do business with people that they like doing business with. And that's why if you're you know, a senior account manager on a grocery channel and people like you, you're, you're going to, they're going to be a little bit easier with you on the deals. Exactly. No and matter it, what anyone says. And there is, and that's the interesting thing, but there is actually benefits of being a small company. Because, because the thing is, what they teach you at sales school is they teach you always think from their perspective, mm-hmm. right? What's in it for them. But at the end of the day, if you're the, if you're in a, you know, sales manager for Unilever, you know, the innovation pipeline will already be there. The marketing guys would have said, you have to sell this product to Tesco because uh, it's going to be, in, it's, our campaign's going live in like 10 weeks. He's with his back against the wall. He has to sell it to them, right? Yeah. And, and Tesco were like, oh, what's in it for me? And they're like, they'll, then there'll be money. But, but for me, I can literally sit down, like for instance, with Tesco, we have an amazing relationship. Uh, her name's Catherine and she, she, she's, she's the best. And you know, I, I literally go, yeah, you know, they're like, well, what do you want? And what, what do you want to make? And, and she came to our office and we were like, showed her some design. She, oh, I hate that kind of, oh, that could work. And I didn't even know we had one can there still. That's the black, the Blackberry you know, that you have there. This one here. That's beautiful. And she was like, yeah, let's make it, let's make it into a bigger can and let's make it this. And she, and we actually created it together, but not from a, I didn't do that because that's what, you know, the sales theory says. And I try to make her believe she creates it. You know, that's what you did it out of actually out of because human the, connection. Out of, out of, and yeah, and, 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 and common sense. Common sense, and it's because I could. And 
because I can change it and because she's got great input. So I think that's the big, the big advantage of being small. So bringing you back to the phases then. So for that first year, you you had it kind of placed in some key accounts now that we would call them nowadays key accounts, but they were places where you knew people were going to drink yeah. this kind of product and you were getting feedback and it was iterative and you were developing it. Then what was the next phase after that? Well, I think the next phase would have been then uh, getting a Tesco listing. So, okay. uh, you know, it was same. Uh, Straight to Tesco. No well, independence. No, it's, no, it's, or... it's, no, 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 no. But I'm talking about big phases, right? Big so we phases. had a lot okay, of good. other stuff in the meantime. Yeah. But then I, um, you know, Tesco's holding this innovation day. I went there and it was actually the same Catherine I remember as well. You know, she just took a sip and she goes, I could drink this. Okay, and I was nice. like, really? And I was like, whoa, I was so happy. High five. Yeah. And again, that would have probably been, you know, it was, just, it was really cool. And I, you know, and, and we've launched there and, 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 you know, so that would be like kind of our next phase. And then, yeah, I don't know if, if there isn't third, then it's like, you know, just building distribution, you know, building You're still in that phase now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we, we are now in all major retailers, actually. Okay. So all major retailers in the UK. And what is your, you know, your kind of run rate or your, your size, your turnover, your market value, whatever you're willing to share with us? What kind of size is the brand now? I think in consumer value, like, you know, again, 2020 is obviously a bit of a strange year. We would have, we would have been, I think, you know, hopefully our, our aim was to be three times the size this year. But like, it would be roughly this year, probably like five, six million, you know. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. And, and you launched when? In 2016. I mean, that's pretty great, right? Yeah. So you say, you know, we're chipping away at growth, but in in four years... Five years. Yeah, but yeah. one of them was a very bad year. You're you're at five or six million. That's pretty good. It is. In, it in is. a really difficult category because, you know, having um competitors like Red Bull or Monster, right? Yeah. Can't be easy. Now, can I ask you one question while we're still on the subject of, of market and category and consumer? Your consumer, do you have it the same consumer or a different consumer? In what way does it differ versus the consumer of Monster or Red Bull? First of all, I'd say it's so hard to determine because it's like, you know, we've sold millions and millions of cans by now. Yeah. But we don't know. It's not like the direct, uh, you know, direct so to. So it's like, you know, we don't really know. I think what we really know from, you know, let's say talking to people, we don't do a lot of research as well, to be honest. I think there's a couple of things that we do see if we do so that we are more uh, more female skewed. Okay. So I think, which I think also makes a lot of sense that we are because yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you think about the classic energy drinks marketing, it's like, you know, whatever testosterone is like double backflips on motorcycles. You know, it's not like something that you're, you know. Yeah, it does not appeal to me, that traditional stuff at all. And no. this, I have to say, the other thing that this doesn't do, the reason I, I would drink this and I would not drink other energy drinks is because this doesn't taste like medicine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, and I know the other energy drinks want to taste like medicine because yeah. I've, from what I understand people believe that if it tastes a bit medicinal, that it's actually going to be doing something for them. And it's almost become a category norm. Yeah. And there's also another thing. So I remember when I started, I, and you have to talk. So if you if, going back to, let's say, the product development area, if, if, you, if you, you, so you, I found the ingredients, all the ingredients. So it's basically partly the recipe that I found, partly, and then also, you know, a big part of science, right? Like I spoke to this guy, you know, I, I still, you know, work with him. So there's a nutritional doctor who kind of helped me with the, you know, what kind of sure. was what everything. Um, and then I, then you have to go to, let's say, what they call Flavor House. You have to then make it together. You know, you have to all put it together. And I, I talked mm-hmm. to a couple and I said, I want to take about like 50 to 60% of the sugar out. And all of them said, what do you want to replace no. it with? Yeah. And I was like, I should, nothing. 
I don't want to replace it. And everyone, all of them go, but that's not possible. Because, and then you just saw, I think it's changed now already because you now see less sweeter drinks. And they were saying it's not commercially viable to have, because everything, and it's really interesting if you look at it, uh, whether it's, and I think it started, you know, back in the day with orange juice and apple juices, they all have 11% sugar. So if you drink an apple juice and orange juice, it says 11% sugar, which is a lot of sugar, right? Look at an innocent. I mean, you shouldn't be drinking that stuff. My, my nutritional doctor said, it's like, it's like you're drinking liquid jam. It's just like crammed with sugar and there's no goodies in that sugar. It's just sugar, right? It doesn't matter where that sugar comes from. So, uh, so they're all at 11%. So whether it's Coca-Cola, orange juice, or Red Bull, exactly 11%. So also in, I would say in energy drinks and the Monster is also the exact same. In energy drinks, that sugar level is not there for the energy. It's there for, to give you that taste expectation everyone's mm-hmm. expecting. And we have 60% less, and, no, and, and when you have a sugar-free, when you have a Coke sugar-free, they've made that sugar-free taste like that 11%. So the yeah. palate is just kind of tuned to that. And there's so much research that shows that the sugar-free stuff is even worse because one of the key reasons they say, that, which I should be a strong proponent of, is you create that sweet tooth. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're expecting that sweetness. And then if you don't have it, then you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll want more sweetness because you're actually, your body's sure. not getting it. So you also insulin levels goes in the spike. Um, and I think, and we just said, okay, we want people to get le- used to less sugar. You know, so if you drink this, and that's why it is still a bit polarizing. Some people say, oh, it's not sweet enough for me. But some people love it because you don't get that film of, you know, sweetness over your teeth. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's quite a different product from the other energy drinks in the market. So you don't have a clear, necessarily a really clear view of who your consumer is and how they differ versus, versus the rest of the market. I would say there's a couple, there's a couple of insights. I would say, uh, first of all, uh, you know, more women buy it uh, because exactly their, their marketing is very male skewed. Um, uh, secondly, I would say, you know, a bit more health conscious people. I would say also that I think that is actually quite right, although it's hard to find in that first mover group. So, the, you know, the people that are open to trying new stuff, sure. you know, so it's that kind of, you know, the, you know, I don't know, it's really cheesy to call them trendsetters, but there is that kind of, I do believe there is actually that bit of that curve. Yeah, absolutely. Where people are open to new stuff, open to, um, then there's the kind of, you know, you know, more fitness related group. You know, I think just the overall health plant-based um, group. Um, but also what we also find interesting is that it's very much what we call like the lapsed user. So it was people that used to drink energy drinks, let's say uni, Jager bombing, still want that energy. Um, oh, that's really interesting. But, but have like stopped drinking. They've grown it. out of it and, almost. And, and, that's yeah. really interesting. And a bit, and exactly. And I think a big group actually is people. There's quite a lot of people out there that uh, don't like coffee. It's not a lot, but I don't know. Again, I don't know the numbers, but I think that is also a okay. very big group for us. So they don't like coffee, not because they don't want the caffeine or they don't want the uplift. They just don't like the flavor. Uh, and they just don't like the effect it has on their you know, you know, body. Uh, which some people have. And I think those people are then, they didn't want a traditional energy drink because they don't want all that kind of, you know, they are high sugars, but they do drink coffee. That's really interesting. It's a great example, actually, of how a consumer in a market is never totally different from the middle of the, uh, the, the, the middle consumer of that market, but that it over-indexes perhaps on female and it over-indexes perhaps on someone who wants lower sugar and it over-indexes perhaps on someone who's older than they were when yeah. they were in the middle of the market. Uh, it's a great yeah, exactly. illustration. It's not, it's, it's not the reason why we made it pink, by the no, way. No, but that's not I'm the only pink question, <laughs> because this one, exactly. No, no, no. Yeah, this one. And I'm really interested, just one last product-related question, because then I want to move on to your team culture and, and how you manage people, because it's just fascinating. But this particular product, right, that just launched, why is, just quickly, why is the can bigger? And what is plant-based BCAA? 
Yeah, so BCA is a branched chain amino acid. So it's an amino acid, which kind of really is a it's very popular ingredient now in the gym space. Oh, okay. So it kind of helps with energy, and but it also helps with diet and muscle rebuild. Uh, so we just saw that going on. There was, there was a couple of BCA products, but there wasn't any natural energizing during plant-based BCA. So that was something we launched specifically because we're having a huge, you know, we're doing really well in gyms and climbing some right. moments. And that was just based on kind of demand that people said, I like my BCA, but I want it from plants. So we found a way to get it from corn. And it's in a bigger, okay. And it's in a bigger can because people are doing sports. That's the kind of the sports focused skew. It's, yes, it's two reasons. Basically, it's like the BCA, funny enough, the way we source it, it's extremely, uh, it's extremely expensive. So we also thought from an easy point of view, it's like we didn't want the same size can that was a more expensive and people okay, understand why. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one reason. And the other reason is just like, you know, it's in that gym space. People want a bit more energy. Want it, there is also, you know, relatively more caffeine in there or the same amount of caffeine because it's bigger, there's more. Uh, so, you know, so it's just a bigger hit. Okay. So it's basically, you know, if you really need to go all in, that's your product. And that's a really nice example, actually, of price framing. And we cover this sometimes in in some of the, the courses I do online, but it's about how the shopper and the consumer make a decision within a frame. So you've got, if yeah. you had your more expensive can exactly the same size as the original can, you know, it would look really expensive. But if you mess with the frame, and I'm not saying that you're doing this to yeah. manipulate consumers in any way, but but often if you change the size or change the weight yeah. or change how how it looks, then you can play with the price as well. It's a nice tip yeah, exactly. for scaling brands out there. It's just, it's just, for us, it was also just like clarity. I think you're a small brand. You, people are not going to go, oh, this has BCA in it and therefore it would be more expensive, right? We yeah. don't have the budgets to explain that all. So in like, if I have per ML, it's actually still cheaper. So we're not kind of tricking anyone in deep, but, it, but it's just kind of, it's bigger. More value for money. It's, more, it's more powerful and therefore I will pay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. Okay, so something I'm really excited to talk to you about and share with with all of our listeners. Talk to us about how you do people and culture, because there's a number of different things that you do that really, you know, I really enjoyed listening to when we were doing our prep call. Your flat structure, the idea that people choose their own boss or coach, and even that you went as far as choose your own salary. So, and that didn't necessarily turn out how you wanted it to. Talk us through that. Yeah. So, the, the, so interestingly, I, I remember when I started, I said, you know, the, the two reasons I started, I would say like, you know, because I, I saw that this opportunity, and I thought it was great to do something. And I also, I think funny enough, they always say young people want to do good for the world. But I think actually when you get a tiny bit older, then you want to do something good because it's like you they think, oh, there's more to life than a career. Uh, so I wanted to do something that was good and has, has a positive impact. So that was one reason. I also obviously saw a market, you know, a market that could have a positive mm-hmm. impact. And secondly, I just want to be free and independent. Okay. Like I said, you know, I don't like the, why is there a manager there? Is it to check if you're working? I mean, I've always hated that principle. I can see the frustration in your, in your <laughs> face there, in your voice. It's like, I mean. Convincing managers of my life, especially with creativity, you know, it's like, you know, I think I, think I have a good idea and someone goes, nah, you know, it's like, oh, well, let's try it. Or, you know, so I've always kind of not liked that. And then again, I must say I've had some amazing bosses, some, some less so, but like, you know, so it wasn't ever the boss's fault. I just didn't we believe We won't dig into your childhood psyche here at all, Hip. No, no, exactly. So then I remember, I thought, okay, I can start my own business, then I'll be free to do whatever I like yeah. think is best. 
But then, you know, if then my team has to listen to me, then only one person wins. So that was like, you know, I think, how can we create a culture where everyone just decides and everyone is just their own kind of boss and their own leader within their kind of in their field? Uh, so that was the, the basic insight behind. And then we started and I thought it's really quite nice because it's very difficult. And I read a lot of books about it um, and, and then I went to other companies that are trying the same things. And I think that it's very difficult once you've got a big organization to change that into kind of a flat okay. structure. But we, we had the perfect kind of playing ground because in the beginning, which is me, and then we hired someone and then we took someone else and slowly like one at a time. And now we're like 13 people. So, so, so how does so it I work? Think, Talk to us like concretely in concrete terms. Wh- yeah. What's it like for someone working in your business? Well, you know, it, it starts off with the inside, like in the beginning, it also has to do with the fact that I also I don't like being managed, but also don't like managing. And managing in, in the sense of, uh, hey, Fiona, you said you do this. Have you done that already? The answer like, no. Like, waste the time. No, no. Well, you know, it's your fault or whatever. You you do it. It's like your responsibility. Yeah. Not fault. It's your responsibility. You, you go. I'm not going to check. Right. I think checking on people is just the worst thing of the waste of time. So you know, and I think also the more you check, the less independent, the less powerful you become. Right. So it's this vicious circle mm-hmm. that you get into. So, but then it does. So, but not if you have a flat structure you still have to have a structure of sorts. So that was my first kind of insight. In the beginning, we just let everyone do their thing. And then it's like, oh, you need some kind of way. How then you decide a salary, for instance? Or how do you make a key decision? So how does it work? Um, and so first of all, it starts with, we, we realized, you know, once we got to a certain size, like above six or seven, that you do need some kind of structure. So then we said, look, it is good to have like a coach. Uh, you know, who helps you, like, you, you know, develops mm-hmm. you, um, you know, sets your commitment. So we don't talk, talk about targets. We talk about your own commitments. Nice. Um, I be, really believe in wording as well. I also like, we, ne- we never say consumer. For instance. Oh, okay. I don't like the consumer. It's like, you know, from the principle of like, they're not put on the search to consumer. So it's just like they're people, you know, okay, like nice. people drink us and like our product. So that's the same with kind of our team. We have coach and you choose your own coach. So you come in, you choose your own coach. We give you like a coach in the beginning or like a, like a guide in the beginning. And then after a couple, after like three or four months, you get to choose your own coach. Could be anyone in the business. And you can change them as well if you don't like them after a year. After, yeah. So it hasn't ever happened, you know, but I think what's cool about that. So we had just one, we, our latest, um, you know, person who joined Team Tenzing is Belle. And then she chose Katie. And Katie was actually really thrilled because the first person that she got chosen as a coach, which is really, really, I thought was just such a cool moment. Yeah, it's lovely. Because it's like, it's not like, no, now this is your boss. Like, oh, I got chosen. You know, so it's actually, it becomes an honor to become a, you know. So is your coach your boss then? So it's not necessarily your line manager. So if you're marketing, you don't necessarily have a coach who's in marketing. It could be anyone in the business. So I think, you know, within your, you know, within your responsibility, you're responsible. Even your, you don't have to sign that off with your coach. I mean, there is obviously sign off things, right? So let's say, so I'm responsible in the business, you know, at the end of like, you know, how this creative product will look. Okay. Like if you have a new can design, someone is responsible for that, but I do sign that can sure. design. Off. Or the TV so ad, your amazing TV ad. Yeah, so the TV ad, yeah, I would work together with that because that's something I like to do. So everyone has their responsibility, but there is like little sign-off things. There's no, no big process in place. So this okay. is like logical. Yeah. Those things happen. Um, but I think the main thing is, of course, you know, around, you know, also like, you know, you know who coach you, how's your salary? So the salary is then decided. We just actually did the round. We're actually in the middle of it now, uh, yesterday and today. So what we also do actually just another thing, which is works extremely well. We have like speed feedback sessions okay. so to make sure you get enough feedback, which you normally get from your boss. We just get, you get feedback for only five minutes 
but from everyone in the team. And it's, and it's beautiful because I remember like, it's so difficult, you know, how in the big companies, they, they have all courses about giving feedback. And because we integrated it into our business straight from the beginning, everyone's just very comfortable giving and receiving feedback. Right. Like, you know, you have like a one to five. So one is could do much more, two is could do more. Three. So I even got like someone just said, I'm going to give you a two on that one yesterday, someone in the team. In fact, and I think I thought actually that was so special. The fact that they had no problem in giving me a two. Yeah. Right. And you know how you know you know how tough that it could be to like you know especially if there's like a boss type character to just no one even like in normal bosses don't even get feedback from their uh, you know team right. It's only like you know sometimes from your peer or sometimes very often there's a three six. Or they don't ask for it. No, they don't ask for it. And I think so. It's just so integrated that it, it always comes. We always come out very energized. Um, so that's that's what you once a quarter, so that you get your feedback and you can, uh, and then based on that, and at the end of the year, we go, you get your on four leadership scores. So we define leadership within Tenzing as the ability to shape the business, to connect with others, to develop yourself and others, and to deliver on the things that you said you wow. and to help other people deliver. So those are the four key things, and then you get a score of one to five um, from the team. Okay, and then from that score, your your salary is then kind of automatically decided. And to be honest, like it's a process, right? Because we we're just discussing it this morning, and sometimes you go like, "Oh, that person actually did quite a lot, but maybe didn't shine through as much." Especially now in the Zoom era, where you can't mm-hmm. see each other that closely. So even that, it's not like a perfect system, to be honest. Sure. But I think, but I think the what I've really enjoyed now in the you know, because I know a lot of other startups do check. Every, I never check on my team if they're working or on the tenting team. I don't even want to say my team. I always want to say the tending team. But because we were so independent, we were perfectly set up for this whole Zoom era and lockdown yeah. era because everyone's just at home and everyone's just doing their thing. Like I don't, there's not a second that I don't trust that everyone's like, and if they don't, uh, if they don't have a good day and they're not doing one thing, they, well, that's fine. And, Talk to us about how, uh, when you decided to let everybody set their own salary, how did that go? Yeah, it was based on a wrong psychological principle. I realized looking back, it was quite tough for me because I it was one of those existential crisis moments where I thought, I'm just, last year we thought, just everyone decided their own salary. And we said, we said up front, this is the pot uh, that we have. Mm-hmm. So that pot is then decided based on inflation, based on how we did as a business, based on our cash flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we said, this is the pot, and then everyone can decide. But that didn't work at all because I don't, I don't think, like, so from a psychological perspective, you're not going to say, well, I did amazing, but, uh, you know, Harry over there. He deserves more than I do. So I will just take a hit knowing that he will then get more. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it just didn't work. And I read too little about it as well. So it's about aversion to loss, isn't it? Yeah. So that kind of just didn't work. And I think uh, so, you know, that was that backfired. <laughs> but still, I just, you know, kudos, kudos that you tried it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And you came up yeah. with a solution that, that is working now. That is brilliant. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like you've got a wonderful structure, a wonderful culture. And, you know, I have to say, I would have loved to have had a boss like you in my lifetime when I was in company because really I, I've never had, I don't think I've ever had a boss who has asked me for feedback in a genuine manner when you know, they weren't actually forced to by the appraisal system. You know, that bit at the end. Mm. Now, can you give me feedback or a 360 that was issued by HR? Or they might have said, well, you know, is there anything I can do better? But do they really want to hear? Not sure they did. So it sounds like you do really want to hear. And I think that's wonderful. The last thing I wanted to go through, because I I know that you've got a, a sharp stop soon. 
during our prep call, we spent a lot of time and uh, having a bit of fun realising that we both get incredibly frustrated with some of the marketing management and mar- big marketing myths that are peddled out there by big names such as Mark Ritson or Simon Sinek, who you mentioned at the beginning. Are you happy to share some of our debunking, some of these myths together now with t- to our listeners and tell us about the ones that really frustrate you? Yeah, there's a couple. So funny enough, I always think, you know, so it's very difficult to, you know, never listen to advice, really. I think the, the, the because most of these, I think people forget that like, you know, I'm not saying anything that you meant about them, but, you know, these people have their own businesses and their own products that they have to sell. And it's just so complex to launch a business. There's not one thing that you can do to make it work. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't sell any books or sell any courses, no. does it? No. Because they're very complex. There's thousands of things you have to get right. Yeah. And I'll just try and name them. And these thousand things could be very different per category and all that kind of stuff. So they say these big things that just, why did Simon Sinek's thing work? Start with why. It just sounds great. It's a great product. It's a great line, but it's obviously zero truth to, to it. So you don't believe that Apple start, started with why, for example? Of course not. So- the, 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 so, so I think he says that in his talk, yeah. he said, Apple didn't ask themselves how to create a great product. They said, we want to change the world. We want to kind of, and that's not true. That, that, that change the world tagline came, was came, come, Chaya Day came up with that. And I, I, I heard Steve Jobs, there's like a whole stories online. He hated the line, yeah. you know, so he didn't even like the ad. Yeah. But when they started, I mean, you can read it in, in the book. I mean, it's just not true because, yeah. like, you know, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak mainly, was just like a, an amazing, beautiful computer geek who loved Absolutely. the product. It was all computers. about the product. It was all about the product. And it's yeah. just not very, it's not, it's, the other computers are clunky and we want something that's consumer friendly mm-hmm. and that the people can like, you know, the people can work on. That's what they said. That's literally what they said. They didn't start with, they didn't say, okay, how can we change the world for the better? Should we, should we start with self-help books? Or should we start with, uh, you know, um, meditation courses? Hell no, let's build a computer. <laughs> it's just no, not completely. True. Well, I'll be, I'll be really transparent with you. You know, the reason I started this podcast and I actually, you know, if anyone wants to listen back to my very first episode about 18 months ago, probably 20 months ago now. And I was very careful with the wording because I wasn't potentially as brave as you are to come out there and say, I don't believe this, it's all bollocks. But I said, you know, I'm not going to talk only about the purpose behind why people start their brands, but also the what and the people, you know, the the product, the people, the promise. Because it's not just, and the process, the way in which they do the job they're setting out to do, they do it differently. It's not just about the why. It's There's so many more reasons. What does he say? As people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. It's just not not true at all. And it's like, you know, funny enough, I think, you know, especially if you think about us, so we've said from the beginning, though, it's not. I'm not saying that's not important to have a purpose and yeah. have a have a clear thing because because I think what it does for me is that keeps me going. You know, so we said we're an energy from nature for nature. So from January on, we'll be completely carbon neutral. You know, we invest a lot in. You know, we've had a we had a clean air tracker. So if you we love to run. So let's say if you, you know, it was chosen the the number one app that will change your life in 2020 by Men's Health. It's an app that you work on through Strava. You run through London and you see how clean the air is. So you can map the cleanest air. So we're trying to do those kind of things that actually help runners dodge pollution. And we're not doing any footprints ourselves. But do people buy us for that reason? I don't think so. I think people buy us because they need an uplift. Don't feel like all the sugar or all the artificials. Mm -hmm. This Tenzing can looks quite cool. Let's try it. Not not people are going to go like, 
And who's that's not the, to say with why on the show? absolutely, and that's not to say that there aren't products out there, you know, and increasingly so that are started by people because they do have they want to start a product that is going to change the amount of disposable plastic containers for cleaning products, for example, you know, and then they're doing yeah. concentrated cleaning products, etc. And it definitely comes from the why, but it's not all successful products that that start with why, and I think that's the main message here, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I think you know, at the end of the day, if you just start with why, that will not be enough. You know, I think no. that's the. You know, that's I've the had, I've done talks somewhere, and, and literally, that's why I think I think I'm I get quite you know emotional about it because it actually puts people on the wrong path. I've had literally had people come to me after a talk, and but I wasn't yeah. so vocal about not talking with why, and they were like, I, I've got a really brown, and it's about love more. And then I said, what, what's the product? Yeah, uh, I don't know yeah, that yeah. yet. I had I had a situation with that recently, a mentoring call with somebody who had started a conversation, who wanted to start a brand to start a social conversation about a particular problem in society. And it was a wonderful brand and it looks wonderful, but they haven't yet started working on the product. They don't know who the consumer target is and they don't know what yeah. needs they're satisfying. It, they just wanted to build a brand to have a platform to, to discuss something that's a difficult discussion. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's, it's all about what you want, but what about what the people you're going to be selling to? What about what they're looking for? And he hadn't thought that through yet. Um, Last thing, Mark Ritson always says that only big brands can win and that uh, loyalty is not important when you're launching a brand. Not, he doesn't say when you're launching a brand, but he says that I brand loyalty is not Sharp, important. Is that not Byron Sharp? Yeah, well, Mark, yeah Mark, Mark Ritson said it as well, says it as well. Okay, yeah. What do you, what do you believe about those two things? Well, I'm a big Mark Ritson fan, to be honest. I don't know, but I think we're connected on LinkedIn. Like, no, I think the um, I love it, like how he talks. I know it's and, amazing, like, how, yeah, amazing. How outspoken it is, but just because he's outspoken doesn't mean he's right. Yeah. I think the I think the, the the key the key element. I remember I was actually doing a talk somewhere, and then someone quoted Mark Ritson and saying, "But yeah, it's really tough attempting because you guys will never get big." Because Mark Ritson says, "If you're small, you'll never get big." And I just I said I couldn't have said that. Then I looked actually, and he does. This is number one rule, which is not think if you're small, you can never get big. I, Maybe I just don't understand this rule because that would mean that there would never be any companies in the world ever. Exactly, exactly. You know, so what happened to Fever Tree and Red Bull? A monster, for instance, monster started 15 years ago. If you were, if you were to buy, a, you know, in 2000, if you go to the stock markets and buy some shares, you would have been best off in all the world to buy monster shares. Really? Monster was the fastest growing stock. In, in 2000 from 2010, better than Apple, better than Amazon, anything. Wow. So they just grew like crazy and didn't do any advertising, nothing. So they came out of nowhere and are now huge. Yeah. Uh, Red Bull came out of nowhere and they're now taking, you know, exactly. giving Coca Cola a run for their money. So it's a strange thing, which I don't totally understand. And I think the only thing, I think you said it, which is probably good insight, is, you know, they cater towards a established, you know, they cater their products towards a, you know, these uh, speakers, yeah, their clients are, are big, are big clients, yeah. big multinational clients. Yeah. So it works for them to give that message. Yeah. Not to say that, you know, some of these insights are right, he, he, you know, because that is, it is tougher sure. to make it, uh, but it's not impossible, of course. Listen, Hope, we're going to have to leave it there because I know you've got to go and you've got builders and all sorts of people as well as meetings. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us. I know you say that you chip away at growth and maybe that's true, but I still do think it's hats off to all of the Tenzing team for growing yeah. to the size that you have grown in such a short time. It's a wonderful product. I didn't know it. You know, the only reason I got in touch with you guys was because I saw your TV ad and I thought, wow, yeah. I know that they're still quite a small brand, but yet they're doing TV advertising 
and it's such a good TV ad. Strongly recommend all of you listeners and watchers out there to take a look at it. It's up on your YouTube channel if you haven't seen it on TV and to pick up a product because it's really lovely stuff and it's not at all what I'd expect from an energy drink and I have steered clear of the energy category because I can't stand that taste. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day in Amsterdam. It looks much sunnier there than over here and uh, we'll keep in touch. Cool. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.